Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR broadcasts from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. This is stolen land. We pay our respects to elders past, present and into the future. My guest today is the poet and performer St. George, whose work explores feminism, love and the body's intelligence and sovereignty through supernatural tropes. She regularly performs spoken word poetry and is also a tarot card reader. George is also a busy collaborator working with videographers, scene makers and opera singers. Today she joins us to share some of her work and chat about tonight's gig at Red Betty in Brunswick. Here is St George with The Shard Thief. Our spell is broken. It shattered like a glass bowl. We scrambled for the pieces and we tried to make it whole. We refused to see the spell for what it truly was. The illusion of peace, a padded cell of cotton gauze. We're clumsy, broken fools who can't even fix ourselves. We ignore our damaged landscapes and we blame it on the spell. We lack the necessary language to articulate our rage, so we pilfer rotting carcasses of misdirected hate. The words we spill like blood come from intravenous feeds we willingly ingest through headlines scrolling on our screens. We think we own our voices, yet we speak with swindled throats. But there's a thief out there who's moulding a prosthetic form of hope. The shard thief steals fragmented parts of misplaced hopes and broken hearts. She wants to plant them just like seeds that will grow into newborn dreams. She sucks on bleeding fingertips, the shards they cut her deep. She dreams of sprouts and endless droughts, survives on broken sleep. The shards still glow a little in her lacerated hand, and their warmth gives her a feeling that she tries to understand. She plants a shard in a beggar's heart, smuggles herself on a trader's cart, through winsome lands and lonesome plains, prays her work is not in vain. She hums a tune beneath her breath and keeps her shards close to her chest. She keeps her thoughts close to the bones of the ones who died in Bomblet's homes. Her swag is stained with oil and blood. Her hair is matted with rain and mud. She's running from the man who lies. He has black wooden pegs for eyes. His name is fear. His name is hate. He peddles a language that procreates and breeds divides between all sides. He subsidizes genocide. He catalogues the world with his horde of metal spies, probing data in a tower that was built from hope's demise. He's hunting her relentlessly, trawling land and sea and air. Our brave shard thief evades his gaze, but he's got eyes everywhere. So the shard thief runs, the shard thief flees, the shard thief cries when the shard thief sees the destruction left by the peg-eyed man, 
and still she tries to understand why no one could agree on how best to make repairs. We argued, blamed, yelled spiteful names and gave into despair. We purchased false solutions that others paid for with their blood. We bought the myths our newsfeed dripped onto our passive shrugs. She wants to yell, you break a spell and wonder why it's unleashed hell. Darlings, it became a curse, cause empty hearts create a hearse. But she keeps on running, all hells broke loose. The world's tied up with a slackened noose that'll soon be tugged and then we're gone. And she knows we don't have very long. She gathers up her swag and stumbles as she flees. She feels the bruises blooming as she rises from her knees. And she comes face to face with someone just like you and me. And she sees they are a person, not an abstract entity. They look just as scared as she now feels, and she realizes that they too can steal. There's a glowing shard in their right hand, and she finally starts to understand. She is not alone. It's a brief moment, the very briefest of spells. They run off into the night without so much as a farewell. But it firelights her heart so that she can carry on, casting spells from scattered pieces of dreams near dead and gone. So the shard thief runs, the shard thief flees, the shard thief finds a shard of glee. The peg-eyed man has the upper hand, but her shards still sprout in his wasteland. We're in the presence of a saint this morning, dear listener. (laughs) Saint George. (laughs) Welcome to the studio. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's an epic piece of dystopian fiction there. What inspired that? Um, It was inspired by, in the wake of the Trump election in 2016, um, Christos Tolkos wrote an essay that was published in The Monthly, and it was about the necessity for dialogue rather than demonising the other and perpetuating the ongoing cycle of hatred and division. Um, I believe that there's a really natural tendency to blame voters and to try to find someone to blame specifically um, for these outrageous um, elections that have continued to occur. Uh, And yeah, The Shard Thief was kind of about trying to find commonality rather than further divisions. The image of the peg-eyed man. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like it came to you in a dream. Yeah, actually saw him in a dream. He was a little bit less sinister than in this poem, weirdly. Um, He instructed me to catalogue death, but he was kind of more pleasant than this iteration. Was he wearing a suit? He was wearing a suit. (laughs) That's eerie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, kind of like an auditor. Yeah. (laughs) This, the turning point in there was realising that she wasn't alone, the, mm. shards, just the shard thief. Mm. I'm having a lot of conversations around, uh, I guess, the individualization of pain, which is actually a shared one. Um, and I believe that we're currently existing in conditions that human beings should not 
have to tolerate and the proliferation and recognition of increasing depression, anxiety and other forms of mental illness is quite consistent across the board. Um, and, you know, it's those kinds of times where you might meet a stranger and you have that conversation, you realise that even though perhaps on the surface level you don't know much about them or you don't relate to many of their interests, they still are carrying with them this desire for love and security and community. Um, and, yeah, that was touching on that. You do tarot reading. I do, yes. So if I'm going into tarot reading, mm -hmm. seeking counsel, mm -hmm. what happens? I would say to you, Brendan, if you have a direct question or issue you want some help with, just focus on that while you're shuffling these cards that I'm about to give you. If you don't, that's cool. They'll just tell you what you need to know. And then um, I'll generally do three card readings, but sometimes a full 10 card Celtic cross. And so you'll shuffle the cards and you'll select your cards and lay them out and then we'll flip them. And then I will read them as, as I understand their meaning to be. I don't like to know what the question is beforehand. I like to read blind, I suppose, so, yeah. I guess, you know, there's an element of tarot that is, uh, you know, using it as kind of a counselling and guidance tool. And then there's the element which I can't really dismiss anymore of the kind of spooky heebie-jeebie accuracy of the cards. And if you look at kind of the probability of getting certain cards in a certain order, it's one in over 400,000. So having done quite a few readings now and seen the effect it has on people who have asked their questions silently, kind of just works itself out as is needed. You know, there's so many different patterns and things that we call coincidence and uh, synchronicities that are inexplicable and you know a lot of people will call that magic I'll call it magic at times I think it's just part of the beauty of the universe that we live in you know even just looking at nature and the way that certain uh, mathematical sequences have come to be and um, I can't explain that. Does it influence your writing at all? Perhaps I mean it's definitely consolidated my interest in uh, using archetypes to speak to more of a universality or pluralism. But I'm not sure that, like, I've used it that directly. How did you get into spoken word? I was living in Melbourne for a bit um, back in 2014, 2015, and I'd only just kind of started learning more about poetry then and then I moved to Tasmania and there was a really beautiful uh, monthly poetry event there called Silver Words, that's an open mic night and I'd sort of put it as one of my goals to uh, just give it a go but I didn't start writing poetry until uh, someone who's now a dear friend of mine kind of broke my heart and uh, they were very good at rhyming couplets and I kind of I didn't realise I was doing it at the time, but I just wrote sort of um, this other poem to try to kind of prove that I could also do it. And then I just realised that I actually loved it. So I guess somewhat spite, but also curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you find your style is changing? 
Yeah, all the time. And I kind of move back and forth between things I'm experimenting with and then I might hear a new poet or read a different poet and just get curious. And I mean, one of the parts of my practice that's really important to me is I just kind of call it playtime where I, I just get to write without purpose and it doesn't have to be good or be for a set intention. It's just whatever words want to come out. And it's um, interesting to see what does come out of that because usually it's been directly influenced by something new that I've encountered or want to experiment with. And you collaborate too. I'm just keeping track of the different projects <laughs> I've got going on at the moment. Probably the latest one was Tabani Tashuma, um, who uh, I lovingly term my partner in rhyme. <laughs> um, we did a joint piece called Space Gin. Uh, we did that originally for a live performance at the Digital Writers Festival where the theme was um, ghosts in the digital age. Uh, and that was really fun and also really difficult to work out how to collaborate on a poem, but Google Docs is pretty much the answer, if anyone's wondering. Yeah, I mean, we were meeting kind of once a week to or once a fortnight to chat about it. And then just go, okay, it's your turn to do a chunk. And then when one of us had done a chunk, the other person would do a response chunk uh, and just back and forth. And Tabani was very, very patient with my uh, Capricornian tendencies to be like, hey, this is your deadline. Hey, have you put anything to the Google Doc yet? Have you done anything yet? Have you put it in yet? And yeah, he was very, very patient uh, with my haranguing him. Um yeah, and so then we'd meet up and chat about what we made and if we wanted to edit it or who would say what and, yeah. Was there much editing? Mm, not as much as I'd actually probably do on my own work and I think because doing that would sort of involve uh, robbing the piece of the fluidity we had with one another, like... Um, we both found that we were writing more like the other person's style than we normally would to kind of try to just naturally fuse it. And, yeah, I I think it was just – it worked out quite naturally the first or second go. Do you find that you're a little bit more reticent to edit someone else's work? Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm more into if something's feeling like a little bit off, then I might just say a more kind of broad brushstroke kind of comment and see if that was something they also identified. Um, but unless they've asked specifically, I probably wouldn't touch it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing That there's just too little love What the world needs now Is love, sweet love No, not just for some Oh, but just one Every Everyone What the world needs now is love, sweet love. 
it's the only thing that there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some. Oh, but just one every everyone. Welcome back to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. The track we just heard there was, of course, What the World Needs Now Is Love, performed by a band called Butch. In the studio with me today is poet St. George. Stewed in a volcano's belly, ignited by the moon's regret, birthed by an electrical storm. Under Vesuvius voodoo and Venusian brightness, we two meet with searing skin, wood-fired bones, simmering sweat, detonating, vomiting, white-hot infatuation, heat-wave-crazed brains and glowing ember hearts. When the ashes fall, when the night horizon is furrowed and tinged hyena red, we solidify. This is what it is to see a volcano take a siesta. What we have now is a mountain. Watch her now. Watch her roots as we tend to them with bare or blistered hands. We use the burnt horizon as a spirit level for a house we build out of mud and stone. Nobody said this would be easy, sculpting out of flame. We knew the price of using still-hot lava as mortar as we scold one another with clumsy egos, fragile pasts. We build, and build foundations of a house that reach far, far down, connecting to the mountain's roots that grow deep and true, stretching out into the hinterlands. But we are not static. We are fire. So, with bittersweet, clasped burning fingers, we pull away. Our paths diverge. We explore iridescent rivers and baritone plains. We burn our own beacons. But eventually, we come back to the mountain, to those roots we excavated deep in the Earth's core. And when we meet again, our meeting is a volcano. Vesuvius is active as though she never slept, and we are the fire-escaped mountain, both burning and grounded. We tend to one another's beacons with steady, loving, tender hands, until once more we part ways with umber kisses under the moon's wry grin. We two creatures tread parallel paths, wearing the mountain's shadow as a heavy cloak that keeps our hearts warm when the night is cold and lonely. <laughs> Who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> Am I supposed to answer that? <laughs> no, no, that wasn't an official question. Mm. It was actually written in response. <laughs> so I'd written another poem that was about someone else and it was very heartfelt, but it was a bit sad. And then the person who inspired this poem uh, was kind of like, oh, 
I don't want you to write a sad poem about me, but you know, it'd be nice to, it would be nice to hear like a poem about me that's got that much, you know, feeling in it. And so I wrote this and then I read it to them and then they said, I don't get it. <laughs> and that's where I learned, don't pander to your audience. Eventually they got it, I think, once I'd actually performed it on stage and there's more of like the feeling and the audience feeling, like audience participation is pretty much 50% of what happens on stage and, you know, elevates the work. A dear friend of mine who is a poet who I look up to a lot actually helped me edit this one um, when I was doing a, a kind of online workshop series under them and... So I sort of wanted to read that for them as well. We were talking about the universe answering before. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the universe can do that? If two people are meant to be together, it'll find a way? Jeez, I'm not sure if I can answer that. I'm not sure that the universe is serving the you know individuals so much. I guess one way I look at it is that the universe is trying to understand itself and so us being in individual selves during this lifetime is sort of the universe breaking itself off uh, like a gigantic supercomputer of various permutations and algorithms. So perhaps that meeting that particular other person is part of that. Or quantum entanglement. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Nobody understands quantum physics. Do you think that's why it appeals to poets? Yeah, and I also think poets just like to uh, turn very, very complicated scientific concepts into um, really broad, vague um, philosophical commentary. And sometimes I wonder if, like, if there was like an astrophysicist sitting in the audience of one of my poems, who'd just go, mm, "Little bit off the mark of what that actual concept's about," but hasn't happened so far. So. Well, sometimes I wonder if astrophysicists are just frustrated poets. <laughs> I think so. I mean, there's a, a a film, a documentary that I always rave on about to people called Particle Fever that um, is about CERN and the Large Hadron Collider a few years back, so before they actually um, had some success with that. And all of the interviews with the different people involved and the astrophysicists, like, they just want answers that produce more questions like they are just nerding out on just how far they can go with discovering more things and often they were also creatives like one of them was a quite an achieved pianist and um, and the way that they spoke about uh, their discipline and their um, you know their life's passion that they've sacrificed so many hours for and livelihoods and things is just yeah it sounds like the way poets speak hmm now you you are a gig convener. I am, yeah. And you have a gig on tonight. Yes. What's that called? It's called Thin Red Lines, and uh, it is a quarterly poetry showcase. So we put it on four times a year at Red Betty Bar in Brunswick, um, and we have four feature poets. There's no open mic uh we decided that because there are a lot of open mic opportunities in Melbourne already. And um, so I curate, co-curate this with Tabani 
and um, we wanted to create a show that people who might not necessarily be attending uh, open mic or spoken word events could come to and experience uh, a really incredible um, level of performance poetry. Uh, and so for tonight's show, we have uh, the amazing artist, I just can't even believe this lineup, um, Leah Dewey Morgan, uh, India Money, uh, Panda Wong, and Josh Cake. And, yeah, they're very um, diverse in terms of their practice and also who they are, and they're all artists I look up to very much. So I'm very, very excited. Well, Panda Wong was amazing at the uh, Spoken Word Prize. Yes. Last year. Oh, my gosh, she's incredible. I couldn't play her on the radio because the uh, piece had so much swearing in it. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. Yeah, yeah, but I'm looking forward to seeing her tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's incredible and just got this amazing like deadpan delivery with some of the most like clever stanzas and commentary and it's really honest and self-aware but so accessible as well. And um, the first time I saw her perform and actually read her work was at um, a sick leave launch. Sick leave's a another poetry event that occurs I think bi-monthly um but her entire poem was about you know you know why why do people rail on MSG so much and it's like that really woke me up to um the fact that I just I have never ever looked up why MSG is supposedly bad for you you know and we take certain things for absolute gospel and granted and even in this era of progressive thinking or being in kind of progressive thought circles in Melbourne, something that basic, you know, you just make this assumption. So, yeah, that really hit home for me. And you also have a dream job working in a bookshop. (laughs) I'm so lucky. (laughs) Yeah. I work at Brunswick Bound. Um, Come in on a Saturday if you want someone who will rave on about poetry to you. Um, and the event, I'm yeah very very honoured uh, and thrilled uh, is Eleanor Savage, uh, who is an incredible writer of uh, both nonfiction and poetry. Um, used to be one of the editors for Lifted Brow. Is currently residing in Greece. Just finished her PhD, um, and her new book, um, Blueberries, which is a collection of essays. Um, that kind of straddles the fence between creative nonfiction and prose poetry um, is coming out in March. Uh, and so she will be in Melbourne for that time. And we're doing a Q&A session with her at the bookstore on Tuesday, the 31st of March. So come along because it will be amazing. And she's a very incredible human being. And you're leading the Q&A? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm currently being extremely nerdy and going through the reading copy with like post-it notes and taking down notes and yeah, it's a good time. Speaking of time, we're running out of it. Do you want to do one more poem to take us out? Sure, I'd love to. Right, I'm going to do one from, so I've got a poetry collection coming out later this year, Date TBA, um, called You Want to Be Famous, Talk About Your Ethnicity and Tack on Some Sex. And um, it's all kind of modern day experiences as seen through the lens of Greek myths. Uh, And this one's called Prometheus. 
Blue fire licks up the last crumbs of the last future, then smashes the plate. We are a serpent mistaking heads for tails. Instead of shedding obsolete skin, we eat our own mouth first, turn inside out. Our circle is broken. The dishonorable, thieving, murdering pulpit of power keeps chopping and feeding us straight lines of straight-up lies. But with all this smoke and mirror inhalation, no one can stomach another bump. No end in sight to adrenalized winds, fisai, bonai, inhuming humanity 600 houses at a time. We will all be fugitives on stolen land, carry our homes in an urn. No end in sight to 10 million cremated hectares. Mama's desiccated orphans crawl, hop, fly out from cadaveric scrub. This is the tail end of the tale. Unless, like hot air, unless, like despair, unless, like a last-minute prayer, we rise up. To put out the fire, we must take back from those would-be gods. To put out the fire, give back to those who are here before there was anywhere. To put out the fire, stop cannibalizing yourself, shed your old skin. We are peripatetic dreams. We are a shared body, as without, so within. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. You can find out more about St. George and her work at www.saintgeorge.com. That's S-A-I-N-T-J-O-R-G-E.com. And speaking of websites, if you're looking for spoken word gigs to go to this year, visit www.melbournespokenword.com. And of course, tune in every week at 9am on Thursday to hear the spoken word show, this show. Podcasts of the shows are available at 3cr.org.au forward slash spoken dash word. My name is Brendan Bodsack. Stay tuned for Arts Express. Mm-hmm.